If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Father, we ask this evening as we continue our worship of you and as we open your word, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would plow deep into our hearts and minds. We ask, Lord, that the truths that we read and the things that we think about, talk about, we pray, Lord, that these things would become cemented very deeply in our hearts and minds. The Lord, we would think about them often that they would guide us as we evaluate our lives as believers, as we evaluate the way that we live and the way that we think. We pray, Lord, that you would bring about those changes in our lives that are necessary as we compare our lives to the standard that you've given to us in your word. Father, we, we do believe that most of the time your word is clear to us. Father, it seems that we too easily dismiss it, or we brush it aside, or almost think very little of it once we close our Bibles. We pray, Lord, that would not be the case. We pray, Lord, that you would disturb us, and Father, we would then again think your thoughts after you. So, Father, we pray that, again, you would help us, and we do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So first things first, in the book of Ephesians in general, and here in particular, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul devotes a great deal of time, and there's a major focus on the importance of prayer in the life of the believer, and really in ministry. The power that is in the armor of God that will soon be described is essential if we're going to win the battle against Satan and his demonic forces. And we need to keep in mind that when we talk like that, when we talk about defeating Satan, when we talk about the demonic forces, remember that the main aspect, or I guess maybe one of the main aspects of spiritual warfare is the attempt of the evil one to get you and I to get off course living as Christians. Remember that the The strength of our evangelism is based on the holiness of our walk with the Lord. Our ability to have joyful and holy marriages is based on the trajectory of the way we walk, the way we live each day of our lives as believers. The strength of the church, of any local church, is again based on, uh, again, the individual's life. Uh, the way they are applying the Word of God, the way that they are living in obedience to the Word of God. If that's not taking place, then the church uh, or the local assembly is going to be very weak. 
when it comes to the raising of our children in the right way. Again, if we are not living as we ought to live as believers, we're going to fail miserably at that and probably and most likely suffer the consequences of that for months and years and maybe for whole lifetimes uh, ahead of us. And so we need to keep in mind then that this is not something that is out, out there somewhere. This is not, you know, when we, when we read in the newspaper or we read in news reports that maybe Congress or some congressman is trying to get a law passed or get something passed that's going to restrict uh, maybe some of our freedoms to live our Christian life at work, you know, where they, where they may be against us having our Bibles on our desk, or maybe there's going to be a ban against wearing certain types of Christian jewelry because it offends people. That's not what we're talking about. That's just minor stuff. Uh, that's really of no significance because those things don't make us Christian. Those things don't make us strong believers. Those things do not suddenly cause people who see you and I wearing Christian jewelry or we have a Bible on our desk to suddenly fall to their knees and repent. This doesn't do that. It's our life. It's the way we live our lives. And so we have to understand the, the importance of what he's speaking about here and that this language that we're using, again, is not to remove it from the intimacy of our daily living, but it is going to marry that together. That We are to be reminded that that is what we are in. So when we give in to sin, when we give in to holding a grudge, when we give in to being lazy spiritually, uh, when an individual gives in to various kinds of temptations, they are losing the battle. They are losing the spiritual battle that we are involved in. Satan and his forces are winning. Now, I am convinced that most of the time, for most of us, maybe we could say this, that all the time for all of us here, Satan himself is not involved in our failure. I don't think we matter that much, and I actually don't think he needs that much power and strength. I think a lot of believers, especially in our country, kind of volunteer to sin. We volunteer to be weak believers. It's true, I believe, that there are demonic forces at play. Absolutely. I'm just not sure that there's a whole lot of force being used by the evil one in most cases, not in every case, because we so easily give in. And so it's almost like, well, there's really no, you know, it's almost like if, if, if Satan, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote that book where um, uh, Screw Tape Letters, where there's a, a head demon who's, who's kind of training younger demons on how to, uh, you know, tempt people and how to kind of fulfill the work of their master, which is Satan himself. And somehow I think if we were to add chapters to that book, uh, the head demon would say, well, by the way, for those of you guys in America, you know, we need to go somewhere else because our work's already done. This, you know, we, we just leave a few behind to kind of kind of keep tabs on things, but yeah, there's, there's a greater work that needs to be done somewhere else. And we need to kind of take that to heart. You know, and it's not that we, we want to run around and start pointing fingers at other believers and saying, you know, you're this and you're that. It's th- we just need to take serious what the scripture talks about for ourselves and live the life that God wants us to live and be that shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and let God work through us. And if each of us does that and more and more of us do that, then, you know, there, there may be a greater intensity in the spiritual battle uh, because Satan's going to have to call in some reinforcements because we're doing the unexpected. And so we have to kind of take a good, hard, serious look at that. So again, when it comes to this, remember that the various parts of the armor that are going to be mentioned Uh, And we'll begin to talk about a little bit of that this evening. Those are basically different spiritual aspects of Christian living that are essential. And none of those parts can be appropriated without prayer. None of those parts can can be applicable to our life, can we use or put on, whatever terminology you want to use. They're useless to us without prayer. 
We, we need to understand that. Several considerations show prayer to be an inseparable part from victory in spiritual warfare. And again, victory is, the idea is that we're, we're living in obedience to what God says. We are, we are pursuing holiness. Uh, we are living in, in, in according to what the scripture says. We're developing the character that God wants his people to develop. You know, we're becoming like Christ in our attitudes towards people. We're becoming like Christ in the way that we spontaneously respond to people and, and situations. We are, we are responding like Christ when it comes to those who don't like us, to those who may say things about us that are untrue or whatever the case may happen to be. In fact, when you look at verse 18 of chapter 6, and he uses the word all there, Paul is basically giving us a call to an all-out commitment to prayer, and to remind Christians of its crucial importance. Again, it is not uncommon. You'll find this to be probably the most common response, at least in westernized Christianity, and that is when you ask the question, do you believe you pray enough? The universal answer, probably over 90% of the time, maybe more, is no. But maybe we should not say that so flippantly. Maybe we should recognize that as being a real slap in the face to the Lord and a real... Um, should be a very shameful thing on our part to have to admit to. Now, I know it may sound like bragging if someone says, well, yes, I think I pray enough. <laughs> because we don't want to come across as the individual who somehow thinks they have it all together. At the same time, we shouldn't be ashamed to say, well, I do my best to, to live a life of prayer. That you don't have to brag about how much time you spend in a prayer closet. You don't have to bring that up. But it should be our habit that we pray uh, I think there should be a, a, a regular time of prayer for each one of us. And then there should also be the ongoing prayer that we, where we just basically throughout the day, we just, we pray. Something pops in your mind, you can pray. You don't have to drop to your knees. You don't have to run, any, you have to, run to a closet. You have to do any of those things. You just can pray right there, whether it's for an individual, something you remember. But we do need to have both that um, regulated kind of prayer, so to speak, a disciplined time for prayer, and then also the idea where we pray on, on, a, on a kind of a spontaneous a uh, regular part of our, of our living. So we're going to be looking at, in particular, verse 10, um, for, for the most part this evening. But there's, there's an exhortation there that Paul is pressing home to each Christian. And that is simply this. Be strong in the Lord. We cannot be satisfied with anything less than that. Be strong in the Lord. Each one of us must live in the power of God's armor. Through this means alone can we successfully again counter the devil and his demonic associates who seek to prevail. So if, if, if we are losing the battle to Satan, so to speak, and when I, again, when I say that, I'm not saying that Satan himself is the one who's tempting you, but that's just a way that we talk about um, and how we personify the evil that we fight against. But when we fail to do that, when we fail to pursue those things we are to pursue, when we fail to resist the temptation to sin, there's usually... One of two reasons are a combination, and that is there's a lack of prayer in our life, and if there's a lack of prayer, that usually means there's a lack of appropriating the armor that he's talking about here. And there's no one else to blame. We can't blame our circumstances. We can't blame people. You can't blame your lousy husband because he's not strong spiritually. You can't blame your lousy wife because she's not strong spiritually. You can't blame your unruly kids. You can't blame your boss. You can't blame the fact that you're busy. There's only one person whose fault it is, and it's yours. And there's only one person's fault in my life, and that's me, and that's it. And there is an expectation that God has that we will get these things right and do them right. Again, we're not saying that we should live perfectly. We should strive to live perfectly without the whole ego thing. But the idea is is we can't just 
be so concerned about our advancement in our career. We can't be so concerned about the way we handle our money. We can't be so concerned that we're doing all these other things well, but we're neglecting this because this is the source of all. This is the, the source of the strength to do all those things and do them well and to do them rightly before the Lord because that really should be the goal. A life based on the power that is talked about here by Paul again finds its expression in uh, these things. And so we're going to cover them. We won't cover all of them tonight, but I am going to do it briefly um, because we're kind of laying the context for two main points that we're going to be making over the next several weeks. Again, we just kind of back up from the book of Ephesians. Paul models prayer for us in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. We see here that for Paul, prayer is, a, is, is strategic in the realization of the wealth that we have in Christ. Uh, remember, we've talked before about when it comes to uh, trying to live in obedience to the Word of God or understanding the truth that comes from the Word of God, no matter what it's touching on, the way that we're going to be able to uh, assimilate the Word of God, understand the Word of God, and apply the Word of God, again, is going to be based on the amount of time that we spend in prayer. And so if we're not spending time in prayer, these things are, are going, it's almost like uh, realizing that you need, you know, let's say that if you're the average adult, you need between 1,700 and 2,000 calories a day, but you're feeding yourself each day, and what the utensil you're using is a baby spoon. You're, not, you're just not going to get a whole lot in there. You know, you'd be trying to find ways to scoop it up as thick as possible, but that baby spoon just does not have very much food on it. And if, if that's what you're using as your utensils, you're just not going to get a lot of nutrients throughout the day, and you're going to have difficulties physically. And that's what happens with us spiritually, um, is, that, is that kind of thing. So again, we need to realize, as Paul is, is, has illustrated for us, that prayer is strategic in realizing what we really have in Christ. And of course, Paul climaxes all of that uh, with this call for you and I to live in God's power. So again, the call to live in the power of God is not a call that goes out to just missionaries. It's not a call to go out to just those who are maybe in some kind of a difficult ministry. This is a call for all believers. We need to, once again, get away from I guess you would say at least an American way of thinking that somehow only certain people are called to be strong believers. That is not the case. Now, there may be only certain people that are called to uh, live in what we call full-time ministry where they do not have a secular means of income. But every single person, there is an expectation by God that we live in the power of God. And no excuses are going to be allowed. Because remember, God knows us. He knows exactly what we're capable of, and we are capable of a great deal because it just so happens he places his spirit in us to give us the strength that we need, the help that we need, uh, to give us the motivation that we need, to give everything that we need. So then again, there's this, there's this call by Paul that we are to live in God's power, uh, that we are to possess the whole armor, and then letting that power to permeate, or the power of, of prayer to permeate every part of the, of the armor. So if you, if you read through all of Paul's epistles and you're looking for references to prayer, first of all, that can be a very rich experience. And there's a list that's found. There's a book that's called Paul's Intercessory Prayers. And in there, these, uh, this, it's an academic study where they counted references to prayer uh, by Paul in some of his epistles. And in the book of Romans, there are 56 verses that are referencing prayer. There are 42 in 1 Corinthians. The third highest total was in the book of Ephesians, which is 31 verses. But when you compare Ephesians to Romans, Romans has a total of 433 verses. Ephesians only has 155. Romans basically covers about maybe 10, 
to 12 pages in your Bible, depending on what kind of Bible you have or how big it is or how many notes you have. That's about what it is. And Ephesians covers three and a half pages. So even though, the, even though Ephesians is about only one-third as long as the book of Romans, proportionately speaking, Ephesians has more than 55% as many verses directly related to prayer. And in another small book, which only takes probably 10 to 15 minutes to read through, Colossians also emphasize prayer, and it devotes over 20 verses to it. So again, it, it's, a, it's an important theme that is there in the Bible. It's an important theme that Paul is establishing in his writings, and it is not a theme that he departs from when he gets to the armor of God. He is bringing all those things together. We need to keep that in mind. In fact, when you think in general about the book of Ephesians, Paul, again, encourages us and commands us and exhorts us to pray. Again, he does that by modeling uh, the kinds of prayers we can read through. In fact, D.A. Carson has a book called The Prayers of Paul. And even though oftentimes D.A. Carson can write on an academic level, that book is fabulous. It's just a very enlightening book. And if you're looking for a good, I would say, different book on prayer, um, uh, and you'll see what I mean if you're interested when you begin to read it. It's just a good book, a good book to get and a good one to read. Which again, I, And I'm not sure if that's the full title, The, the Prayers of Paul. Uh, but if you look up D.A. Carson, uh, you will definitely find which book that is. And I think you'll find that very, very enriching. But, in the book of, but, but again, in the book of Colossians, more specifically, Paul prays that God will fill believers with the knowledge of his will. That God will fill believers with his power. That God would fill believers with his steadfastness. That God would fill believers with his joy. That God would fill believers with thanksgiving to him. That's how we are to pray for each other. We've talked about that before as we've looked at prayer over the past several years. And so, we, so this is how we pray for each other, how we should be praying for each other. Whenever anyone asks you to pray for them, and maybe they're asking you to pray for them because they just found out they have cancer, or they, maybe they're having difficulty in their marriage, or whatever the case may happen to be, not only should you always say yes, just remember that if they're asking you to pray for something physical, on the list of things, that's the minor thing. You need to make sure you include this stuff. So whatever they're going through, let's say it's cancer. What we know as a matter of fact is that God can heal a person of cancer miraculously. We know he can do it. We also know that most of the time he doesn't. We also know that God can heal a person of cancer through what we would call the normal means, through whether it's radiation, chemo, etc. Um, again, I, don't, I would never be the one who would say that's not the work of God. That is the work of God. But we also know that in that, we don't know what the percentage is, but it seems that that can be effective in the lives of some people, hopefully many more. But again, that's not always the case. So when we pray for them, we should also pray that that individual, that while they're dealing with cancer and going through the treatments, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will, that God would fill that individual with, with his power, so that when they meet individuals, when they talk with individuals, whether it's in the waiting room or whether it's nurses, doctors, or when they're talking to other people about their cancer, that they would be filled with the power of God so they can share the gospel with those individuals. So they can share how it is. That, they're, that Hopefully the individual will notice that this individual who's talking freely about whatever's going on with their health, that they not seem to be really all that bothered by it. They may not like it, but they're not really bothered by it. They don't want to die tomorrow, but they're not bothered if they die tomorrow. That they don't like maybe the pain and suffering they're going through, but they don't allow that to identify them as far as who they are as people. They still find their identity in Christ and the purposes that God has given them while they live their life here. That's how we should be as believers. I think if more of us were that way, I think the world would, would take notice. Now, I'm not saying the world would like it, 
Because the world doesn't like Christians and the world doesn't like, you know, these kinds of things. But there are those individuals that God has called to himself. And God desires to use us in their lives so that we can be a part of the joyful experience of seeing these individuals coming to Christ as they encounter the gospel being lived out by you or by others. And that's what we want to make sure that is going on. So again, when it comes to this, we want to make sure we're praying these things. The burden of Paul for us is to be vitally concerned over spiritual matters. That needs to always be the priority in our prayers. And so that's why we need to evaluate, sometimes even write down if we need to, the things that we are praying for for other people, for our children, for our spouses. We need to make sure that that list is filled with spiritual things. Those other things are important. Their safety, their health, doing well in school. That's all great. But what does it matter if they get straight A's and find the perfect marriage partner and they're far from Christ? It just doesn't matter. I don't want my kids to be super poor and live in a mud hut. But if it's either living in a mud hut and having the joy of the Lord in their daily experience or live as they live now, bring on the mud hut. Because that's the most important thing. And if they have the joy of the Lord, they will be happy with that. They won't be viewed as being some kind of a bad thing. Because they'll have the genuine joy of the Lord. So again, as we pray for others, it, is not, it should not be for relief of the physical, you know, for the physical relief of the broken arm or a new job or sleep as a solution to insomnia. All those, again, are, are burdens and they're heavy. But they should intertwine with the things that Paul puts on his prayer list, which I believe you read and notice very easily when you read through the book of Colossians. We should cast all our care upon God, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 7. Yet so often the life-shaping shaping issues that Paul makes prominent should gain the pervasive place in our prayers, but sadly it's too often missing. In Ephesians chapter 5, and verses 19 to 21, we have five things that Paul mentions should, be, should accompany being filled by the Spirit. Let me read to you beginning in verse 18 of chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The five things include speaking to one another in edification, singing, rejoicing, giving thanks, and showing submission to other Christians. Remember, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, just kind of in passing on Sunday morning, but when we sing... Our singing is more than just you and I singing praises to God as a way to express our gratitude to Him for what He's done, or it's more than just you and I expressing a way to worship God as we magnify His name. When we sing, we are also engaged in ministry in that we are to be singing for, in a sense, to each other. When we hear other believers singing of these things that we're singing about, it is to be encouraging and strengthening to us. And it is. Without even thinking about that, I've shared with you before how I've had the great privilege of going to, uh, now for several years, um, pastor's conferences where there's, at one time there was one I went to that had 1,500, but most of the others have been like five to 8,000 pastors. And normally, when you get a large number of pastors together, when it comes time to sing, they sing. I mean, they sing. To where, again, you can kind of feel it in your bones because, you know, Singing has got, it makes noise and there's vibrations and that's kind of how sound carries. And you can feel it. And, be, and because you know what they're singing, you, just, you can't help but just like, man, this is, just, this is awesome. 
Pretty soon you start sounding like you're from California and you're stoked by what you hear. It's just this incredible thing. The very, the very, the very first time I ever heard this, I went to a small uh, pastor's conference in Alabama. This was on the campus of, of Beeson College. Um, and it's a, it's a stone chapel, which has got just unbelievable acoustics. And there were 300 pastors there. Oh, man. It was just awesome. It didn't matter where you were standing or where you were sitting. It was just reverberating off of the walls and off of the ceilings. So we need to remember, we need to remind ourselves of the importance of these things. So being filled with the Spirit, then, means we want to sing. But the reason why we want to sing is for the sake of others. Because we know what it means to us when we hear others sing. And then, of course, the other things that he mentions, that we are speaking uh, to another in edification. Again, we are rejoicing and giving thanks. And again, showing submission to other believers. That means primarily that we're giving preference to other believers. It's, it's not about our way. And, you know, if it's not against the Scripture, you know, you, they, may, they may want to do something you don't want to do, or they may want to do something that's not the way you want to do it, but what does it matter? We willingly submit to each other. Those we become easy to get along with. That's, that's, the, that's the evidence of being filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's what we should want others to see. More specifically, the things that we've covered in Ephesians. Wives are to live in submission of a spirit-filled life true to unity, holiness, love, and light. And it is expressed, and they express that towards the way they treat their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives, and children are to obey their parents in the same way as an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are to model the Christ life to our children as parents. Servants, whether we're speaking of slaves or, or those who are employees, as we talked about last week, we are to, to do these things to fulfill what is good for each other. How can that kind of Christianity not be the kind of Christianity other people want to get to know? Because that's not the kind of Christianity they're often exposed to. I know, when they watch the news, the news sometimes is going to pick and choose only the extreme element of those who may call themselves Christians who aren't, and they go, look how negative it is. But we don't have to worry about that. That doesn't have to win out. If we pray the way that we are to pray, the way we're supposed to pray, that, that Paul is talking about here, and appropriate the arm of God that we're going to begin to see here in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be able to combat that without even trying. Because people say, well, I've seen the news, but that's not the Christians I know. The worst thing to ever hear in your life is when someone says, you're just like the Christians I see on TV. We don't want that to ever be said to us. Remember, Paul knows this, and this is why he says what he says. We live in a hostile world. All of the decent things that God stands for are pitted against the ugly evils used by those who march under the black banner of the prince of the power of the air to oppose God and to oppose his people. Those whom God called to walk the Christian life are in a deadly warfare. And that's what we need to remember. So once again, verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. To be victorious, believers need the power of being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. They must be what is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God. And then he says... 
by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And when you look at that and meditate on that, that's incredible. Imagine if someone could say that when I think about this church or I think about that church, this is what comes to mind. This would be incredible. We should all yearn with almost being jealous to want to have this to be what is used to describe us as a group. Or maybe over in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 3, where Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's incredible. We, don't, we, we live in the flesh, meaning that we are in physical bodies. We live in this physical culture, but we don't try to accomplish anything in the plan of God the way the world does. Our warfare is not according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, again, are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God. That's why I am convinced that going way back in the 70s, when Roe versus Wade was first passed, the reason why it was passed, and the reason why it's remained the way that it is, is because what Christians did as a whole was adopt the practices and the methodologies of the civil rights movement and incorporated that to try to fight abortion. And we lost horribly but we weren't getting together and pray oh we'd have a few prayer meetings maybe a big grand display of marching around someplace and pray but that day where we get together and we pray earnestly on a regular basis seeking god knowing that we have no strength but what happens we were deluded into thinking that because we had political power and we had some kind of a political voice that we would change the day now, i don't know every single christian believed that but in general that was the thought and what did we change? Well, now abortion is uh, all, the way up to, all the way up to the point of birth now. So we didn't make anything better. We made everything worse. And I do believe that we are as much to blame as those who are non-believers. I expect that from non-believers. They don't know any better. But we keep trusting in man. If we just elect the right officials, just do this, just do that, we can wipe it out. Well, it's not working out that way. And it hasn't. And that's the way too often we approach many other things. Nothing other than God's power is able to win. And that is a theme that is throughout the Word of God, over and over again, Old Testament to New Testament. And the power is interconnected always with prayer, always with that. In fact, uh, one of the stories I like in the Bible is when, was when uh, Joshua gets ready to go and, and uh, fight Ai. They come with this great defeat of Jericho. You know, not one of their soldiers died. Everything is set he sends out some spies and finds out that Ai is a small town. You know, they have a weak military. This is just a piece of cake. There's no way that Israel can lose this battle. They're going to be able to wipe out Ai without even breaking a sweat. And the thing that David, uh, sorry, the thing that Joshua does that I think we can sometimes miss is what isn't mentioned. Because we know that Achan had already sinned. And already had taken those things and violated the, the, uh, the oath that God had them to take. Joshua assumed and didn't pray. I'm convinced if he had sought the Lord's will and the Lord's wisdom, God would have told him then there was sin in the camp. But Joshua didn't do that. He just assumed. And what happened? Well, 35, 36 families had to bury a loved one. 35 or 36 soldiers died unnecessarily. Israel had to go through this huge rigmarole because primarily, first of all, Joshua didn't pray. He assumed. And then also because of the sin of Achan. 
which infected the entire nation. So we need to make sure that we don't uh, commit the same sin of Joshua. So again, when we think about these things, uh, what we need to remember is this, or ask ourselves this, how do we as Christians secure the only power sufficient to win against sinister odds that are so great? Because again, we don't have the strength and the ability to fight against Satan and his hordes. We don't, we don't have that ability. We don't have enough strength to resist sin in the flesh all the time. We don't have it. We do not possess that ability. We should appropriate the weaponry that God supplies. When you read in those verses, there's this phrase that we are to put on or to take the armor of God. What this means is it is a welcoming trust. It is where, what, it is where we are receiving what God makes available in grace to be utilized. This has been the winning theme again throughout all of history for God's people in conflict. Believers are made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. They receive the ability to stand their ground as spiritual soldiers. No matter what the onslaught is from the devil and his hordes, no matter what they mount up against us, we're able to withstand it. We then can stop the forces of wickedness personally as individuals and corporately as a church. And and we can do that because we stand in the power of God. We stand in the strength of the Lord. We're not depending upon what we have. We don't do what Joshua says. So, well, in this case, it's small. In this case, we'll just go ahead and just, we'll just kind of go for it. We don't do that. In fact, it says we are to stand, stand therefore. The imperative is stand, and Paul presses that. Now, what's interesting is there's a unified, uh, this is a part of the unified whole of the word of God. In other words, in Ephesians 6, it repeats much of what Jesus taught in the upper room discourse. Let me read to you from John chapter 15. John 15, beginning of verse 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So what Jesus reveals when you study through chapter 15 is a close relationship between a word-filled life and a prayer-filled life and its fruitfulness. So again, those two things must go together. Yes, we must read the Word of God, we must study the Word of God, but we must also pray. It's not just know the Word of God and know it intellectually. It's not just pray, but you don't have time to get into the Word of God. It's those two things together. That is what's going to nourish us and strengthen us. That's that's what's going to be able to, to enable us to stand in the power and the strength of the Lord. So then when you look at the parts of the armor, and you've probably heard this before, especially if you've been a believer for more than five years, you've heard someone talk about this somewhere, you've read these things in a book, but there are six pieces of military equipment that make a list of the armor. Many individuals will, will draw this illustration that Paul, for many years, was chained to a Roman soldier, which is true. And as he's thinking about these things, trying to find a way to describe what he's about to describe or teach the principles he wants to teach, he's looking at the soldier and looking at their weaponry and what they wear and begins to kind of make this analogy. And that's all true. Paul did all those things. Paul had a great knowledge of the Word of God. He also had a great sensitivity to Roman military dress because he saw it constantly every day for many years of his life. And so once again, let me begin in verse 10 and read through verse 19 of Ephesians 6. It reads this way, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the Spirit, or the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So Paul begins this list of key elements with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So the question would be, so why does Paul put truth first? Why would he do that? Many have said that word order with the terms that are used here in Ephesians 6 are very flexible. In other words, truth is appropriate wherever it occurs, whether it's first, second, third, or fourth. But the idea here is that the Christian has entered the realm of God's truth by being identified with God or being identified with Christ in opposition to all the influences coming from the devil's lie. In other words, truth is as fitting as any word to begin when it comes to the armor. Because we are to be standing for truth, standing against the tempter's falsehood. In fact, that was the the issue with the first man and woman in creation. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3, what happened? They didn't stand for the truth of the word of God. Remember what Satan said, did God really say? All they had to say was absolutely, but they didn't do that. They didn't stand for the truth. They gave it to the lie. When you look at Matthew chapter 4, truth was again the crux of the matter for Jesus in his conflict with the tempter before his public ministry. In Acts chapter 5, truth was the issue when the deceiver captured Ananias and Sapphira uh, in the infant church and they lied to the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 8, truth is the point that the unsaved miss when they listen to the father of lies. And in 1 John 4, truth is the point in the Christian struggle against the devil and those who peddle his lies. The call to put on the armor comes in a context that has made a practical stance in truth crucial. In fact, remember, we live in a day and age where people are saying that you cannot know truth or they say that truth, there is no truth. Now, when it comes to spiritual truth, what we call religious truth, when it comes to the truth of who man is and what man is for and, and, and the existence of man and the afterlife, all those things, people are saying, oh, there's no truth. There is no truth to know. And if there was, you can't know it. And we ought to stand on the truth that God it does exist and that God can be known and can be understood. And we have a relationship with God, that he is a being, that he's not a force. It's all culmination truth. What is the word of God? It's the word of truth. Everything we believe comes from the scripture. Again, that's why we keep saying over and over as Christians that if you can point out to us any errors in the Bible, we throw the whole thing away, which is just really a foolish thing to say, humanly speaking. We have great confidence in the word of God, great confidence in what God has preserved for us. And so we, without shame, we we unabashedly make that proclamation, show me the error and I'll walk away. And mankind has been trying to show us the error for years, and it's not there. It doesn't exist. So truth works as a defensive weapon in the battle, standing staunchly against what is false. But it does also take the offensive in ministering positively to help and foster growth in others. Remember that when it comes to the Word of God, and this is where sometimes Christians can mess up, because we, have, we do have a great care and concern for friends who are struggling. Perhaps you have a friend who's struggling in their marriage and things just aren't going well. And we want to use the word of God to help them to, be, to have a good marriage. And we can give them really good sound advice from the scripture. But remember that the word of God is not just a book on therapy. 
if you don't get the foundational issue taken care of first, what good does, we, does it do if we use the Bible to help their marriage to be much more joyful if they are still lost? It doesn't mean that we just say, well, we can't talk about your marriage because when you die, you're going to go to hell. There's a lot of ways to approach this. We want to make sure that we're not separating the gospel message, the central theme, because the main reason why your friend and her husband or your friend and his wife aren't getting along, it's not because they're not communicating well. It is not because they were raised differently or in different countries or whatever the case may happen to be. It's because they're both living in rebellion of what God has said. That's, that's, that's the issue. And that's what we pray for. That God will help us to find a way to get to that issue as we speak with them. Because you do have to use wisdom to guide them to that understanding. Because even in the beginning, the only thing they want to hear is either you're on their side or you can fix their spouse. So we need to, with gentleness uh, and grace, weave our way through that treacherous minefield to get them to the point to where they begin to look at themselves and the truth of what God says about who we are as people and why Christ came. Christ can and will heal their marriage, but he will do so when their souls have been mended by believing in Christ. When it comes to the truth or to the the, um, truth that Paul mentions here as far as their waist being girded with truth, why does Paul in the naming of the parts of the human body begin with girding the loins? It's because belting the armor securely permits freedom and movement of the feet and legs, and that's where they would draw up their robe or whatever garment they were wearing and tie it up in the belt so they could so they, they could move. They wouldn't be restricted by a robe. I don't know about you, if you wear a long robe, it can be very difficult to fight somebody wearing that robe. It's going to continue to get in the way and it's going to be very restricting. Um, and so because the belting of the armor securely permits freedom, then they're able to have good, good balance, good agility and speed and all those things. And, and it helps in their upper body and being able to maintain that balance and power. So the Christian stays upright. Everything in life depends on a basic commitment to God's truth. And we need to remember that. Everything in life depends on a basic commitment to God's truth. With truth, we can make a visible stand against the enemy. We will stop there. And the next time we get together, we will move on with the armor and we will then begin to tie all these things together with that most important thing, which is what he's mentioned about prayer. What I want to do as we go through this is I, is the, the, my goal is not to rev you up like a cheerleader so you want to go out and pray all the time because that will last about a day. What I want you to become is convinced deep in your heart and mind of what Paul says about truth. And what he says about prayer. So that it becomes a staple. So that it is something that you think about a great deal. And where it will begin to bother you to no end. If your prayer life is not even close to what it should be. That that you will begin to recognize that you're failing God. And you're failing yourself. And you're failing others. Because you're depending upon yourself and not upon God. That you are maybe even living in arrogance. It, It may be unintended. But it's still arrogance nonetheless. Where you are, in a sense, you're kind of saying, I can do this on my own. We would never say that, but we live that way. And so I wanted to become deeply convinced of this truth. It's kind of like, uh, I'm not trying to describe an experience for you, but remember when I was in in the early years, when when Cindy and I were first married, there was only one Christian radio station in Hawaii. um, And uh, at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, they had a radio program called Conference Echoes. It was by Moody 
broadcasting was, was this. And they would, they would play the same individual for a week. And, and my favorite was when they played guys from the 60s and before. Because these are guys I never, never listened to. And, I, you know, I, there was uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse and A.W. Tozer and some of these great guys I'd heard about. And I'll never forget that when I first began to listen to those programs, now I'm not a Mormon, uh, but when I listened to those programs, there would be this, be, it, the, the Mormons call it a burning in the bosom. They'll tell you that's how they know the Book of Mormon is true, because of a burning in the bosom. That's why when they come to my house, which they don't anymore, I'll say well, that when I read the Bible, I have a burning in the bosom. That's how I know it's true. They don't know what to do with that. But anyway, but what, what happened is, that's just a side note. That was for nothing. But anyway, so what, but when I get to, these, uh, to this program, there would be that sense of excitement. Like, this was just so awesome. It was almost like you could feel your soul being fed. The gems that these guys were coming up with, that was just, and it was, and it was individuals who had, not only were they intelligent and deep spiritual, but they were living the life. They had, you know, most of these guys were dead. They had proven by their lifetimes that they had walked with the Lord. And it was just, man, I couldn't get enough of it. It was just so awesome. And uh, so the thing is, I want us to kind of have that. Uh, when we think about prayer, think about what the Word of God says about it, and to be encouraged in our faith so that we will spend more time in prayer, and then with a great sense of expectation, look for God's answers to prayer, and be disappointed when you don't see them tomorrow. You say, well, Lord, I know I've got to ask for patience, but I was really expecting to see something today. <laughs> and the Lord say, well, sometimes you have to wait, <laughs> uh, because it's also His timing as well. But I trust that will be the case. And I think then as that happens, that not only will your prayer life be revolutionized, but the life that you're living will be revolutionized as well. And if it's not exciting, it will definitely become exciting uh, because you'll clearly see the hand of the Lord in many things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace, kindness, love, and for the power that you offer to all of us. Thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us alone or leave us stranded to face the wiles of the devil. We thank you, Lord, that you give to us everything that we need. And that it is primarily appropriate through prayer, our conversation with you. And that because of the unity we have with Christ, Lord, these things belong to us. We pray you help us to grasp that. Help us to embrace it. Father, that we squeeze it so hard in a sense it becomes a part of our inner being. And the way that we normally think and approach life. So Father, as always, we thank you for your great patience with us. Because Father, we know that Some of us have failed you a great deal, and the rest of us have just failed you a lot. And we don't want that to be the case. We don't want to do that, Father. We really do want to be used by you in the lives of others. We want to withstand temptation. When we gather together in church, Father, we're strong. We want to fight all of the battles, and we want to win out. And then by tomorrow morning, the the resolve to fight temptation just isn't there as strong. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be changed in our lives. So, Lord, it's, there's a consistent resistance to temptation every day. So, Lord, we thank you for being so patient with us. We pray, Lord, again that you would teach us. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.